Welcome to Executive Tools, Executive Missteps, Chapter 1, Calendar Chaos, Part 2. This cast answers these questions. What mistakes do new executives commonly make? How can I manage the new pressure on my calendar? How can I get everything done? Well, if you want to answer these questions and more, keep listening. Here we go. So how do effective executives handle calendar chaos? They make three important decisions, folks decisions, being choices and actions, that bring things into some form of acceptable stasis, like, okay, I can I can handle this. And by the way, I said stasis, not peace, because you're not going to feel peace about your calendar ever as an executive. You just won't. You know, up until now, if you've not been an executive, you have always had too much to do. But now you have even more, and some of the stuff that you can't get to is really important. So what are the three decisions? First, delayed control. The second, priority management. And the third, our good old friend, delegation. Now, we've talked about delayed control before. I always wanted to name it, but now I have. But it was always in relationship to doing other things, like starting one-on-ones, announce you're going to start, and then start five weeks from now, Mm. delay the beginning. And basically, delayed control means uh, abandoning, to some degree, the idea that you have to change your calendar immediately. That with all your existing stuff on your calendar, uh, you now have to find time for what your new responsibilities are on top of that. I tried that for a couple of years, uh, three or four years, actually, with executive coaching. and It never worked. It cannot work. I mean, we tried it with 50 people, and it just didn't work. And I said, fine. I don't, you know, I'm going to give up on changing somebody's calendar this week. It won't happen. It's amazing how easy it is to get on people's calendars. And then somehow, despite how easy it was, how low a bar barrier of entry there was, how concrete calendars become to people. I find that not logical, not sensical. There's a, there's a conceptual piece missing there. So if you try to put new stuff on top of what you're already responsible for, you'll exceed it neither. Your early frustrations are going to harm your perceptions as an executive. So delayed control means when you become an executive and you suddenly start getting more to do and you know you need to get in charge of things, you do the best you can. But for the next three or four weeks, you're going to muddle through. But... It also means deciding now what your priorities are going to be, how you're going to handle things in the future, and start putting those things on your calendar three to five weeks to now, okay? You're choosing now to start tightly controlling your calendar in the future. If right now, if you looked at today, I've said this so many times, and I'm going to keep saying it until they drag me out of here. If you look at your calendar right now, most of you, don't do it if you're driving, and you look three to five weeks from now, you'll discover that there's all kinds of free time. It's sick how much free time you have. This week and most of next week, probably full. Actually, we're recording this on a Monday. You're listening on a Wednesday. So yeah, this week is full, and probably some of next week is full too. If you try to add stuff now this week and early next week, there's no time. There's just, you can't can't do it. And we call this phenomenon, the difference between busy and urgent. Executives who are busy 
have calendars that are full six months from now. Virtually everybody else's calendar in the world is full this week and next. So if your calendar is full this week and next, you're actually not busy. You're just urgent. You're probably not in control. And as long as you continue to deal with your calendar inbox with this short-term focus, taking things that come in over the transom, you're always going to be urgent. You're always going to be not busy in terms of the executive definition of busy, which is six months full. That's why the CEO doesn't have time for you next month. She made a decision four months ago that that 30 minutes or that hour was going to be spent on this important thing that the organization needs to be successful five years from now. That's how the decisions are made. So you don't just say, well, uh, she said no to me because you know I, I'm not important. Well, no, you are important, but you're less important than the thing that's going to bring in a trillion dollars in new revenue, like an iPhone, that executives have to spend time thinking about and planning for. And if you're urgent and not busy, you're going to be perceived as not an executive. So look, guys, forget about the next month. Look out three to five to six weeks from now and ask yourself, what do I think I should be doing? And at this point, I promise you, it's like the, like like movie Willow. You have to decide, and you shouldn't look at somebody else and what somebody else is doing. You shouldn't guess at what's approved, what's what will be approved. You shouldn't guess at what you should do. What you think you should do, you should trust yourself. Because I got to tell you, if you start your executive career thinking that you're going to placate everybody else, that you're going to run around and get in front of whatever mob that's there, you're doomed. You're just doomed. It can't be done. And by the way. If you say to yourself, okay, I think what we ought to be doing is this and this, I promise you there are other people who think that. And if you think that, and then you do it, and the organization comes back to you, your boss comes back and says, and nobody wants to do that, you need to probably, you're probably done here in the, in the long term. Fine, go somewhere else, right. okay? But whatever you do, don't, as I've, I'll say later in this cast, don't be so busy keeping your job by attempting to avoid offending anyone that you don't do yeah. your job. Well, my experience is, is almost the opposite. And I'm not saying what you said doesn't happen. And generally, though, I think it happens differently, which is your actions, your planning forward, your scheduling, your talking about, your working on it creates a momentum in and of itself. And more often than not, the organization kind of tends to line itself up behind that executive that knows what they're doing and has a plan. Oh, no, no, no. You, you, I completely agree. In fact, this is we, we have to have a cast about this. Once you become one of the leaders of the organization, that's the way other people give you obeisance, respect, uh, appreciation. Yeah. They're like, okay, he's running that. They're doing it that way. I have to adjust. Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. But that doesn't happen to you as a manager. People don't do that really as managers. But if you think about it for a minute, you didn't really care how other managers managed. You just cared that they got their job done. And the executives are the same way, yeah. but with much bigger conceptual uh, balloons in the air. You know, when you're thinking about what's going to happen six weeks from now, you might be putting in place your organizational operating mechanism, which I call the OOM. I love that, the OOM. It might be a restructuring, but... Probably that shouldn't be the first thing you do. Uh, no. It might be a new product or a service or a new budgeting process or a hiring effort. And right now, 
Start putting those things on your calendar five to six weeks from now. And I, I mentioned before about the low barrier to entry. The, the dirty little secret of calendars is basically first come, first served. And right now, by the way, guys, you guys are being served. <laughs> <laughs> You're being hosed, basically. The reason that everyone is so busy is they've given over their calendar control to other people by accepting things, by letting just anybody put things on your calendar and not being willing to say, no, I'm not going to do that. No, I'm not going to do that. Uh, I, I get this all the time. I got a LinkedIn thing from somebody recently. Hey, Mark, thanks for connecting. I just need a few minutes of your time. Um, now, I, I knew of this person, not directly, but I knew of them through somebody else. And I said, okay, well, what do you want to talk about? Because of Stackhouse grazing rights rule of no blind request. He's like, well, it's kind of hard to explain. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're done. We're done right now. No. Folks, if you're in the, in the group of people who link to other people and then immediately respond uh, and ask for a meeting without explaining yeah. what it's about, oh, my God. I could say something really bad about COVID and death, but I won't. Um, I, I'm astounded by that. It's just it's, it's rude. creepy. It's, yeah. It's, it's yeah. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So, look, we've given calendar control over to other people because we're not living our priorities. And we're only living one to two weeks into the future. And as an executive, you got to break out of that. Okay. Now, some of you are going to say, okay, great, fine, Mark, la, la, la. But even if I do put those key priorities in my calendar, it's still going to get stepped on by the continuing marching waves of busy as we get closer to those times. And my answer is kind of yes and no. If you wish to continue to say yes to everything you're asked to do, you're right. It will. But surely... Once we become executives, we of all people must have enough knowledge, wisdom, role power, and plain old guts, for God's sakes, to say no. Say no. I might do that, but the stuff I have on my calendar that I decided I was going to do, I'm still going to do. And you'll end up with less of the busy and more of the important stuff. Uh, the way I like to think about busy and important and urgent and so on is the Covey-Eisenhower matrix. Some people call it Eisenhower. Some people call it Covey. I saw it the first time in Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. You're basically going to live in quadrants one and two and stay out of quadrants three and four. And basically, for those of you who don't know, I want you to picture a two-by-two two matrix, a square, four, four squares that form a larger square. and they are numbered in the top in, in the the top two squares. Number one is on the left, number two is on the right, number three is bottom left, number four is bottom right. And the important things are in the top row, and the unimportant things are in the bottom row. And the columns are urgent on and the left column and not urgent in the right column. Hopefully you can keep that in your head. And basically your calendar becomes a defense against the dark arts. Okay, sorry. Defense against quadrants three and four. And you have to make a decision when something new comes in. Is this important or is it not? It's pretty simple. It's, a, it's, a, it's basically a logic tree. Not do I want to do this, but is it important? How does it balance against my priorities? And 
if you've built your calendar with the things on your calendar, five to six weeks from now, you've decided these are the things I'm going to be doing. There will be less free time for the unimportant things to fight for. And it'll be easier for you to say, sorry, no, I don't, I don't have time for that. No, I'm not going to do that. No, I'm not going to do that. Now, okay, we talked about this a little bit before. For those unimportant things that you can't seem to avoid, they happen, okay, the cruft of organizational life. Make decisions as quickly as you possibly can, even immediately, and delegate implementation of your decision to other people. That's how you deal with quadrants three and four, unimportant things, some of which are urgent. You delegate it to somebody else. Pick which one and go and leave it be. And by the way, you might get in a little bit of trouble. Yeah, it's urgent, but it's not important. Yeah, I'm willing to get in trouble for that. Don't care. Otherwise, guys, if you don't do this, you're always going to be reacting. Yeah. Trying to avoid trouble as an executive is trouble. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Dude. Well, I'm trying to think of the analogy. It's been on the tip of my tongue for the last 35 minutes of, of um, if I can avoid failure. Well, you everybody's heard me say it a thousand times. Avoiding failure is not the same thing as seeking success. If you do, If you avoid all the failures, you will end up being a failure. Surely almost everybody who's listening to this cast has worked for a boss who is always jumping around from priority to priority, always something new, never finishing what, what he or she started. How did that feel? Do you want to do that to a thousand person organization? Something else I tell my executive coaching clients, develop some calendar calluses, you know, calluses like on your hands. I don't know. Some people don't know this, but when your hand got really calloused, Good example, the Royal, the Navy of the 1800s. Those hands were called horny, believe it or not. Hmm. I um, did not know that. Yeah. And I use that term in the medical sense, which is full of calluses. When some staff department demands something from you, say no. Sure, guys, there's some political risk there, but sometimes they'll go away. If you get trumped, Tell your folks to do the absolute minimum. Give them specific guidance on what to do and what not to do and how much time to spend on to spend on it. Don't be afraid to say to your people, quick and dirty, we need to check that box, but that's all we need to do. We're not trying to win. You're not supposed to be trying to impress everyone by your org's ability to get everything done. As an executive, your job switches. To, and by the way, that is your job as a manager, get everything done, which of course everybody learns heartbreakingly that you can't do it. But as an executive, you're supposed to get the few most important things done brilliantly well. And that takes time. And it means taking time away from the less important things. Always put your risk of trouble on the less important things. From now on, when you think, nah, that's kind of less important, immediately say to yourself, and I'm willing to get in trouble for it. To Mike's point, right? You're not going to avoid trouble. Trying to avoid trouble, spending time. Holy crap. I love that phrase, spending time, because that's exactly what you're doing. Spending time avoiding trouble is trouble, as he said. Yeah. The only difference, a problem with that analogy is that you can spend time and you can spend money, but 
you can make more money, get it back. Yeah, you can't. You can't get more time yeah. back. Dude, <laughs> it's gone. I tell people that all the time. Yeah, I'm willing to spend time. To, I'm willing to spend money to have more time. Well, Bill Gates said it right. I think I've mentioned this before. Bill Gates said once. I I don't really would don't have no interest in gambling, but if I could go to Vegas and gamble my money for time, oh yeah, yeah, oh, every day, and I'd be right there with him. Yeah. Okay, the second decision after delayed control is priority management. Now, look, sorry, guys. We'll, we'll, get, we'll have some examples in the future, but we can't tell you what your priorities are or ought to be other than results that are measured and people. But we can tell you that it's your call and you get to decide. That's part of what being an executive means. As a manager, you were almost accepting what the organization said you know, gave to you, fed down to you. Now you're the leader. And that means ignoring or minimizing things that you yourself have decided are less important. Not your boss, you. This gets to the Ozan's law, which is don't make me come down there and do your job for you. Your boss is not going to do it. It's yours. You're, hey, you wanted the authority? You got frustrated that you were in the middle and you didn't have a lot of wiggle room. Okay, now you have the wiggle room. And then people go, oh my God, I could be wrong. Oh yeah. It's just a different failure point. Before, you couldn't be wrong. You would just be inefficient or ineffective. Now, you could just Mm -hmm. be wrong. So, what are your priorities? And here's the thing. We've given you five to six weeks to figure it out. (laughs) I'll give you a hint. I'll wink at you. Maybe your Delta file can help. Although that's a little internal, and we'll have a future ET cast about that. By the way, a little aside here, since we're talking about calendars, because this popped into my, I was not going to write about this, but this popped into my head several times as I was writing this, and I don't hear as much about it, and so it may be a little anachronistic, but I have to tell you folks here, if you were a manager who had a chance to have an admin And because of some stupid idea like uh, equality or something, you turned it down and you got good at doing things yourself. And it takes more time to have him or her do it than if I did it myself. And you are now offered an admin and you turn it down again. Turn in your exec card now because you're doomed. Okay. Take the admin they offer you, fool, and learn how to manage him or her. And and by the way, if you don't know how to do that yet, you own that mistake. They gave you a chance to learn a while ago and you screwed it up. But look, you can come back. Listen to our manager tools guidance on admins. Have him do your email for you, teaching your priorities. A good admin is worth a couple of hours every day. A couple of hours every day. It's fabulous. Teach him your priorities and then hold your admin accountable for being the gatekeeper on your calendar so that only your priorities get on the calendar. By the way, just as an aside, I mentioned people early as one of your priorities. That means there will be things that will be necessary for you to do that are important because they're a priority, like showing up at a team luncheon for 15 minutes and saying hello. Those get on your calendar because those will be a priority. I'm always asked about that. I don't, people say to me all the time, I'm an executive. I don't do that anymore. I'm sorry. What? What? Sure. Okay. Yeah. 
And the last one, this is easy. Delegate and say no. <sighs> Mike and I have been talking about delegation until we're blue in the face in our manager's guidance. I assume that Kate and Sarah are still doing it. I guess I should know that since I read all their cast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you should. We, I, I should. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In fact, by the way, can I just make an aside here, Mike? You and I have talked about this before, and it never occurred to me when you started talking about the Cessna and the Bonanza, which I remember with great fondness, it made me think about another example here of an internal thing. If you've never heard us say this before, guys, I think I have. I think Mike has too, but just in case. We're executives. We think of ourselves as executives, not really because we're we're not a big enough company to really truly be executives the way you might think of in a bigger company, but we're executives because of our external facing responsibilities. But both Mike and I have talked about this internally. We live in the future. Yeah. We are thinking about next year and five years from now. I turned 61 last year. Mike, I think, is about to turn 62. Uh, so I'm coming up here very shortly. I think in like the next 10 days, right, dude? Yeah, pretty like quickly. Six days. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, six days. Yeah, next <laughs> next Sunday. The 16th, if you want to send him a note. And um, people say to me, oh, today is this. I'm like, if, if it, today has already been determined by the time I get to today. Now, I still have wonder and joy about being alive and experiencing today, but I'm thinking about what I'm going to be doing in August and what I'm going to be doing next February and the following August, and where do we need to be in five years and doing assumptive goal setting and working my way back. I think about retirement. Here's a great example, guys. You guys are going to laugh at me for this. I am going to take next August, the entire month of August off. It's going to be, to some degree, slightly painful for me because I spent the last 30 years working, and I really, I sure hope it shows, I love my job. I think that's one of the reasons Mike and I are so well-matched and things have gone so well for manager tools is because we like our jobs a lot. We really, really do. I would do this for free. And in fact, we did for a number of years. That was funny. Okay, so- I realized that in the third quarter of last year that I needed to start absenting myself from the company because when it comes to content, when it comes to clients, when it comes to customers, products and services and so on, I'm responsible for all that. And because of my personality, because of being the founder along with Mike, because of starting the company, just the two of us and so on. Whenever a discussion is had around here about products or about content or whatever, it's almost like that FedEx commercial where the guy makes the recommendation, well, what we could do is use FedEx and cut 10% off our shipping. And he's kind of a dorky looking guy. And then when he does that, everybody at the table looks over to the guy at the head of the table like, hmm. And then the executive guy at the top goes, okay, people. And he uses some very impressive executive hand ID hand yeah. <laughs> he says okay here's what we'll do we'll use fedex and we'll cut 10 percent off our shipping everybody's like oh yeah that's great but my point is everybody looks to him there are decisions that don't get made around here unless i bless them 
I call it the cult of Mark and I don't like it. And so I realized I can't just work full time as much as it would give me great joy to do so for the next five years. Folks, I'm not saying I'm retiring in five years or four years or whatever, but I'm just thinking about that timeline. Mike and I have to work out some of the details. But I realized that I had to start taking time off and say, okay, and by the way, they're going to discover it's not as easy as they think. And they're going to they're going to inadvertently slack me sometimes and say, hey, I need, I need some help on this. No, you don't. Figure you it know, out. I'll give you a grade. I'll give you a grade when I get back. Leave go, me make, go make some mistakes. Yeah, yeah go some, <laughs> make some mistakes and grow up. <laughs> get your head beaten in a few times. You need to grow up. So I was going to take a month off in August. And I was going to be gone for a little bit of the time, but I was going to be home for a little bit of the time. And the problem is not being gone. That's like vacation. The problem is being home. And being not working. I've always found <laughs> it remains that to be, be seen whether you can do that or not. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, well, that's part of the reason why I recommended that we take a full two weeks off this Christmas for everybody in the company. Also, in part because of the nature of the last 18 to 22 months or however many it's been, how hard everybody's been working. Plus, in 2020, oh, sorry. Yeah, I shouldn't have said that. The weir that must not be named, nobody in the company got a raise. And everybody worked their tails off because we were protecting, right, the, the, the corpus, the body. But we gave everybody two weeks off and we shooed them out of the office to go home. We have skeleton crew for customer service. And I had to, I tried very hard to not work. I had some stuff to do for the new, like what was it, the new disc product? Yeah. yeah. Um, but other than that, very little. And I discovered something. I'd be sitting on my back deck reading at noon and find myself standing up, assuming I was going back into the office with no idea why I was going. Check mail, right? Right. Nah, I could do that on my iPad. But no, just like, there's got to be something on my desk. I'll go in and check. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's my desk. So my point was that I have to prepare for that. And I'm preparing for it now. Okay, because I live in the future. And folks, if you're an executive, you better start living in the future. And you're not going to get to the future if you don't start changing how you manage your calendar now. That's a very long aside. I apologize. Okay, back to delegation. I hope those of you who are listening have learned how. Otherwise, your transition to being executive is going to be much, much harder. You know, look, think about it this way. If you got promoted straight up, so the, the organization you used to run is part, still part of the new organization you're running, and you did delegate previously, you'll probably know your people better than someone who didn't. You'll know what they'll be able to handle and so on. But if you have a new organization and their previous boss didn't delegate, they'll have to learn in a trial by fire. Because believe me, folks, Mike and I have talked about this for years. And that one of the reasons, Mike says, one of the reasons that he did so well in his executive career at MCI was he had great people. When I think about the people you had working for you, Kathy and Maggie and Madigan and Morrisrow and so on, it was pretty Yeah, it was pretty. Pretty sick. I mean, awesome. it was, yeah, yeah, it was pretty great. But executives live lives of delegation. It's a core skill. And it allows them to spend time and to focus on the most important issues when, remember, they're having a bunch of their time taken away by corporate 
issues, entire organization issues. And for those of you who are really acute listeners, we've said before, you can move delegation forward in the rolling out the Trinity plan. And that was there specifically for executives. That if you take over a team or an organization that doesn't have any of the Trinity and you have to start doing one-on-ones and you're an executive, you're going to have to slide delegation forward because you're, you're now talking about people who are senior managers or people who are future executives who are reporting to you. They better be able to handle some delegation. If not, they need a demotion. So start delegating sooner than you would have as a manager. They ought to be able to handle it. Those who can handle it are your stars. And those that don't, again, maybe need a different look at them. So you're going to have to say no a lot in order to solve your calendar. Decide what's important. Delegate that which is important but not as important. And then say no to everything else. And if you don't know what you're doing, okay. You're like a lot of other executives. And you're going to find out whether you are right or not. And then you're going to go to a different company. And then you'll have learned. Be prepared to get in trouble on the things that don't matter. Who decides what don't matter? What doesn't matter? You. The risk always ought to be on things that don't matter. That's why your family ought to be on your calendar first. Boy, that was long, Mike. That was good. I Yeah, this is, it's important. I, and yeah. I know it was long and we went into a lot of explication yeah. of, of these points, but my experience is that People need to hear that because yeah, we can't, we can't, we can't stand on this one. We just can't. Yeah. So summing delayed control, clear priorities, your priorities, folks, not something somebody else gives you and delegation. And by the way, if you're an executive and you need help, reach out. We'll do our best after we congratulate you to sort out the pickup sticks <laughs> that <laughs> being an executive means. Awesome. Thanks, my friend. That was great. You bet, partner. That was a fun one. Sorry for the soliloquies, folks. See y'all later. So long.